Welcome to episode 656 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I am Justin Mason, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing okay. I'm in Raleigh Kids uh, Dance Competition this weekend. Uh, very long day. They were giving out the awards show they ended at 11 o'clock, and this is, you know, clocks went forward an hour last mm. night for those of us who live in, in, in uh, states where that exists. And yeah, it was an early morning this morning, not going to lie. Uh, but I'm just glad that the clock went forward this weekend instead of next weekend. Yeah, next weekend would be a little rough because that is Tout Wars weekend. I always like uh, the clocks moving forward because I work overnight. And so I lose an hour of, or I lose an hour of work while everybody else loses an hour of sleep. Uh, and I still get paid the same, so I get paid for an eight-hour shift, uh, even though I'm only working seven hours. So that that for me is a little bit nice. Uh, fair warning: I am very, very sick still. Uh, my whole house is very, very sick still. So if I sound a little weird, lose my voice, or start coughing, I will try to edit that kind of stuff out in post. But just fair warning that uh, I am I'm just holding it together right now. I think we all are in that shape at this point. It is, uh, it's been a rough health week. I mean, it, on my home front, I was just getting over some kind of cold, and then my wife had an emergency appendectomy on yeah. Wednesday morning. I was supposed to be heading to Boston for work, and then you know she went to bed early Tuesday night, said she wasn't feeling well. I wake up to start packing Wednesday morning, and she's like, yeah, don't go anywhere. And I was like, whoa, because my wife is one of those, like, would never complain ever. And she, I've, I've had to take her into the ER twice in our – 18 years together one was a gallbladder and this was the, the appendectomy that's it she is you know uh it doesn't take anything she doesn't uh, she's not over dramatic about anything but yeah this was that was my week um so as i was getting better she was getting worse and that's why i'm in raleigh because she can't lift two pounds at this point and so i'm carrying dance bags and uh suitcases and that, that's all me so well, but, thank, thankfully that happened this last week and not while you were in Tat Wars because that would have been uh, a disaster as well. So, uh, and hopefully she's yeah. on her road to recovery. Oh yeah, she's she's getting better. Uh, and uh, I have to leave tomorrow morning. I've got to go to Boston for a work trip and then take the train down from Boston to New York for talent. So I'm gone all week. Yeah, and uh, so for just for. Uh, I don't know what the recording schedule will be like this week with me and Paul, since we'll be. Uh, I'm heading out Thursday night for Tout Wars, and Paul, I'm sure, is heading out either Thursday or Friday. So we will definitely get one recording in and probably try to finish up starting pitchers. I don't know if we'll get two in or not, so just fair warning. Uh, but uh, with with the traveling, it may be a little bit more difficult uh, to get uh, two two extra recordings in with Paul this week, but we'll do our best. Uh, but today, uh, with Tout Wars coming up, we're going to talk about some auction prep. Uh, how we're prepping for our own Tout, War uh, Tout Wars auctions. Uh, Jason's in the AL, I'm in the NL. Uh, Paul is in the head-to-head uh, -head points league, but uh, he could not make it for this episode. But first, let's talk about some notable transactions, or some notable news at least. Uh, Martin Maldonado, he signs a one-year deal with the Royals to... Uh, Replace Sal Perez, who is out for the year with Tommy John surgery. Uh, any interest in Maldonado uh, this season? Because he's going to start, yeah. I, you, you gotta, you, we're going to have to draft 24 catchers on on Saturday, or a bid on 24 catchers. So he's going to end up on somebody's team. I think the, the interesting piece here is that there, there were so many different things happening at the catcher position here over the next couple of weeks. There's a couple of teams that have guys that are out of options. You look at Boston and they've got Christian Vasquez, who's going to be the starter, but both Sandy Leon and Blake Swihart are out of options. You look at Colorado, they've got Chris Iadetta starting, but both, uh, but Tony Walters has an option uh, and Tom Murphy doesn't, but Tom Murphy can't catch. So Tom Murphy is probably going to get exposed to waivers too. Um, then you got uh, Oakland and the injury to uh, Chris Herman kind of stalled that situation. But both Nick Hundley and Josh Begley are out of options. So you've got and, some and guys. They have, yeah, they have Sean Murphy too, right? So, yeah, and so you've got some guys that have that have options that are uh, that are out of options rather that are going to be exposed to waivers. So I can see a few catchers changing positions here um, over the next couple of weeks. Fegley is one who always uh, intrigues me because he's got a little po uh, pop in his bat. Obviously, he's there for his, his bat and not his, his defense. Uh, you know, Murphy has, has done what he should do in the PCL, but has never been able to, uh, you know, the defense just isn't worth it uh, 
for him playing every day. But again, we're talking about second catchers here. Uh, and after, because after the first six to eight catchers, you're like, Ugh. uh, so we're just looking for second catchers in single league. So yeah, Maldonado, uh, he, he probably, he went from a dollar play to maybe a, a $3 play, uh, by getting a job here between he'd be sharing the plate with, uh, Cam Gallagher. Yeah. He's going to have value in two catcher formats, especially AL only. I don't know that I want him in anything other than that, and I don't even know if that I want him in AL only. I mean, he, he's moving to a park in Kansas City that is going to hurt him power-wise. And yeah. so if that's the case, what does he offer other than plate appearances? The only thing the only thing that intrigues me in Kansas City is, I mean, they, I've, I've said it before, they're going to be fun to watch because they don't have much power, and they're going to run as much as they can. I mean, even when you look at the when you look at the bench, you know, they signed Terrence Gore to a major league contract. Sure, it's only a million. I think it's a million four. But they gave Terrence Gore. Terrence Gore has more career steals than he does plate appearances. And they gave him a major league deal this year. So you've got him on the reserves. You've got Hamilton. You've got Mondesi. You've got Merrifield. You know, these guys, this team is going to run. Uh, and so with with Maldonado, I think uh, maybe some hidden value is he's going to have guys in scoring position, and all he's got to do is put the ball in play, and one of them's going to score. Yeah, uh, that's a fair point because <laughs> they're not going to get double. <laughs> I'm trying to find him. some value here for catchers because God is it a hot mess. It's yeah, oh. uh, there, there's nothing in catcher. It's just, and this is one of the reasons why. Oh, I know a lot of people, and I don't know that we'll necessarily talk about it. Uh, on this episode when we're talking auctions, but uh, this is why I don't go with the dollar catchers in the only leagues because there's, it's yeah. just so bad. And, and the re- and just the the uh, scarcity value is so huge to get a guy like JT Romuto, get a guy like Gary Sanchez or, or, or Wilson Ramos, uh, especially if you're, in the, if you're in the American League. I mean, there's nothing in the American League. There's Gary Sanchez, Danny Jansen, Wellington Castillo, and then it drops to guys like Zunino, uh, uh, Willens Astadio, who we don't even know if he's going to have a spot on that. I don't team. know how he. I don't know how he can. Well, coming I think out. maybe I mean, Sano at... hitting the DL uh, to start the year. Maybe that gives him a role. Maybe, but I mean, when you look at they've got you know, you obviously you've got Cruz at DH, but then you have Marvin Gonzalez going to third base. You've got CJ Crone and Tyler Austin. Both guys are out of options. So if if they want to keep both, that's that's where it's tough with uh, Astadio. And you you already have Castro at catcher. You got Garver at catcher. Garver uh, Garver and Astadio both have options. So it's not like that's one of the cases. But when you're looking at Adrianza and Austin and Crone all out of options. It almost they almost seem like locks. I mean, they traded for Crone, uh, they traded for Austin, and it seems like that's where their locks are going to be. So I don't know if they have that much roster flexibility, even in their bullpen. You look at this bullpen, like Parker out of options, uh, Alberto Mejita uh, Mejia out of options, and so it almost seems like Minnesota's roster's uh, decision is first for them. And it, Astadio may not make the club right away. Not saying I'm not going to draft him. But he's not going. He may not make the club right away. But all it's going to take is a, a, a slump for somebody, uh, or, or an injury, and then he's right back up. So it's. Uh, I think it suppresses his value a little bit now. I think early on he was going high. Now he's coming down a little bit because of the uncertainty. Uh, but you know, when I'm looking at projected plate appearances, like roster resource has him at 97. That's never going to happen. <laughs> he's going to get more than that. <laughs> yeah, I, I assume he will. It just it's hard to figure out how he's going to get those plate appearances at this point. Uh, let's see. He's currently going – oh, well, he has dropped. So he's going as the 15th catcher off the board on NFBC. Still, that's a catcher one in an NFBC 15-team <laughs> yeah, no. league. Catch, uh, catcher's bad, but he can't be going He can't be no. going catcher one. I, I, I don't understand why he would. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the next kind of big uh, bit of news. Uh, broke early this morning that uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has a grade one latch strain and will miss the next three weeks or so. Coincidentally, he's going to miss about, or uh, he would probably be sent down to the minors for three weeks to start the season so the Blue Jays can get an extra year of service time. So does this change your ranking of Vlad Jr. at all? Uh, No. Uh, I mean, put it, 
put your tinfoil hat on. I mean, like I'm wondering who went down. Years ago, there was a uh, when Grant Balfour was in the Rays bullpen. There was uh, one of the pitching coaches. Somebody got into like a the, a wrestling match with him, goofing around, mm-hmm. and strained his oblique, and he was out. Like I'm wondering who the Jays said, okay, <laughs> who can we send to go with Vlad and just put him in a headlock and watch him twist and go oh. And so he's down you three th- you weeks. You think they said, told Devon Travis if he wanted to make the team, like he needed to go? And <laughs> hey, it, it, it <laughs> would mean Devon Travis has done something. It means he's done something good for the club here in the last couple of years. Uh, but, yeah, I, it doesn't adjust because you, you should have already had this baked in. Yeah, you're yeah. taking – yeah, Paul and I took a risk taking him at 46, whatever we took him in, uh, in labor. But if, I see a lot of other people doing the same thing right now. I, I uh, took and, him and in and the online in. championship. Yeah, this is baked in. You, you knew this was coming. You just said now you have to hope. Now you have to hope that this isn't something that lingers. Um, and the thing with obliques is you never want to rush back from them. If they tell you three weeks, you take three weeks. You don't say oh, I'm going to come back in ten days. You take the three weeks because then if you hurt it again, then three becomes six. Yeah. So you really you you want to make sure that he takes his time uh, with this. And if, if this takes him to you know, April fifteenth, so be it. Well, and I think that's the key because three weeks from today puts us at the first week of April. He wasn't expected to be brought up till about the second or third week of April. So that's plenty of time for him to rest for three weeks, uh, give him two weeks to amp up uh, at the minor league level and then make his debut as soon as they've gained that extra year of service time. This shouldn't change anybody's timetables as long as he doesn't have a setback. Uh, and if anything, if this starts dropping his price, I think people should take advantage. So, yeah, All right. I agree. Let's uh, let's talk about some auction prep uh, because, like you, like I said before, uh, I have the Tout uh, NL auction. You have the Tout AL auction coming up next weekend, uh, and I spent a fair majority of my night last night kind of prepping for my auction or for my auction in the NL. So I wanted to ask you, how much do you prep, uh, or how much prep do you put in, considering that uh, auctions can be unpredictable? Yeah, that's the thing with auctions. I mean, when you look at when you look at a, a straight draft, you know, you can do draft rooms, you can do a bunch of mock drafts, uh, you know, get a feel for what's going to be there. If, if uh, you know, I have Paul and I picked fifteenth in labor. I think I picked I picked fifteenth in my Fantrax league. Uh, maybe it was 14th in another league I did, but I, I got third in the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, and I wanted the third because I wanted to see how something was going to play out if I took Max Scherzer at three, how that was going to play out the rest of the way. But in an auction, it's different because you can't say, okay, I'm going to do this guy, I'm going to do this guy, I'm going to do this guy, because all it takes is one other guy in the room that's playing. Like if Yancey Eaton and I were both in the same auction, I mean, we were we were joking on Twitter, I think we have 10 of the same players on our on our teams. Uh, and we both drafted out of the three spot. He took Scherzer too, and, and like if we were in the same, that would screw it up. Uh, and so all it takes is one guy to to mess up that auction plan. So for me in an auction, it's all about skills buckets. Like I will take a particular guy. It's okay, I do like this guy, but who else is like that guy that I could get at the same price? So it's a matter of having alternate plans i mean you can you can work your way around and say i want to do this i want to hit hit some targets statistically but if you're building towards uh, towards those targets then you need to have guys to get you there but you need to have a plan a b and c uh in order to do that so you know next weekend because we're in town i'm missing my nl home league uh, and that sucks i mean i don't like missing it one of the guys in my al league is going to draft for me but that's i'm giving him a plan and not saying hey get these guys it's going to be here are the roster spots I need to fill, and here's the, here's the amount of money that I'd like to spend, and here are the guys that I like for that money for that roster spot. That's how I do my auction, and uh, I will play around. I will go in with a split. This, you have to say, okay, I'm going to spend this much on pitching, this much on hitting, but it's not hard and fast. I'm willing. I usually budget in, like I will budget two hundred and fifty dollars, and then I'll leave ten to decide how, so I can look and see which way the room's going and then say, okay, I'm seeing some pitching bargains. I'm going to go ahead and grab some more pitching right now. Uh, or, you know, hitting, I'm going to go ahead and throw some extra on hitting. But I only, I only spend as I look at my how I'm going to budget my my draft. I usually leave 10 bucks hanging out there to do as I need to during the draft to adjust. And I think that is one of the kind of the, the biggest parts of auctions that 
I don't think gets enough credit uh, when we talk about strategies and, and, and auctions is it's really about knowing your league. It's about knowing who's going to uh, punt saves, uh, who's going to do this, who's going to do that. Uh, and what I did last night was, uh, luckily for me, it's my first year in NL Tout, but all the other participants have been in the league for two years. Most of them have been in there for six, seven, eight years. Right. Uh, and so I have the ability to go back through and kind of look at the history of this league. And not necessarily looking, I, I do kind of make out, uh, we'll talk a little bit about category targets here in a little bit. Uh, I do make out category targets, but for me it's more about learning the tendencies of players. So lo- knowing that more than likely uh, a guy like Lenny Melnick is not going to pay for a closer. Or, but you or know he's going to pay $100 for an outfielder, mm-hmm. for so, outfield. Yeah, so, and kind of learning those tendencies and trying to figure out a plan that works uh, well to kind of manipulate or take advantage of uh, of some of those tendencies uh, through the players uh, is knowing your league is huge in an auction. Uh, knowing that uh, Rick and Glenn are going to pay for Yankees. So that can go into how you approach an auction. Are you guys, or you know, are you able to get Gary Sanchez, like we talked about in terms of AL catching, at AL Tout Wars, considering uh, Rick and Glenn are in that league, and I think paid twenty five bucks for him at AL, which is what I would, yeah, and which what, and, and I'm glad you brought that up just about about knowing your league because you look at the AL. The AL League, and I've got new people in this mm-hmm. year. You know, we a have we have people. Nando coming over. Got Doug Dennis coming over. We have uh, Howard Bender. Howard Bender coming over. Mike Gianella coming over. I mean, that's a, that's four new guys into the lineup. Uh, yeah, obviously replacing some trends with uh, the departed Laura Michaels and Steve Moyer. Steve Moyer was was not at last year, but with with Laura, you knew Laura was going to sit on money, and then Laura always would just run the middle of the auction. Like, he would go get these guys, and so you're looking at something, and you're like, oh, I like this guy. You could pretty much pencil in Laura was going to get Chris Davis. That was just a must every year. You just kind of had that written in, like you would have Cano with Rick and Glenn or Sanchez. You just, okay, done. But then you start getting to the middle of the draft, and there's Laura sitting with money. And you're like, well, if I want this guy, I can, how can I get Laura to spend some of his money so I can then go get these couple of guys that I like? Uh, but you know, with these, with with uh, one third uh, of the league new blood, uh, and it's not like we know. You know, GNL has been in the, in the NL format, so we we can get a pattern of what he likes to do. It's just not the players, but uh, you know, pattern. And then you know, Howard Nando. Who knows? I've been in leagues with Nando where Nando will blow it out the door and spend all of his money early. I've also been in things where Nando was sat around and waited. And you're like, dude, are you going to spend money? What are you waiting on? Uh, so and, had, I've been, and then, and and then he goes auctions. on a buy. I've been in auctions goes on a with, buy. Uh, with Mike. Uh, Gianella, where he he can do the same. Like he he can play the middle. He can play stars and scrubs. Oh yeah. Uh, he he's gonna he's uh, he's gonna do what I don't necessarily do. Kind of with his next uh, topic, which is uh, he has hard bid limits and he's gonna stick with them. Uh, guys like uh, Gianella, guys like uh, uh, Larry's like that. Yeah, Schechter Larry Schechter, very much um, like that. You know, he wrote a whole book virtually based on that. Uh, is you know uh, some people have hard limits. Uh, bid limits, and some people are a little bit more fluid within the draft. Where do you kind of stand? Do you go into a draft with hard bid limits, or are you kind of uh, mixing things up as things go? Um, I like to mix things up. I mean, I don't want to become predictable. I will go... I try to get a, a read on somebody. Like, I will go the extra dollar if, if sometimes it's to... If I know the guy's the next guy, like, I know I'm not going to get stuck with with that price. But I will only say where I'm – I don't want to go too far in that regard. But there are times I like to participate all throughout. So it's not like, oh, Jason likes that guy or Jason doesn't like that guy. I will continue to push. And then if I get somebody at a price – if there's somebody I don't like but I can save a couple of bucks on, I'll still take them. If somebody else says, well, you know, fine, take them at 14 and I had them at 16 and I was just bidding to push it up, okay, thanks, I'll take them. I was trying to think – it was somebody a couple of years ago where I ended up – so it's not like I didn't like Chris Sale, but I ended up getting Chris Sale a couple of dollars below value one year because I was just bidding him up because I was like, okay, somebody's going to buy him. And then everybody stopped. I'm like, okay, thanks. And so I changed my plan that year because I already had another starter 
And I was just playing around with Chris Sale, and I was like, okay, I, I think I bid 36 on him or 34, and I think I had him as a $37 player. And so I said 34, and everybody else dropped. I'm like, well, fine. I just move some things around um, and and go at it that way. So I don't I don't have I don't have hard limits, and I also don't have hard and fast plans. If I see a value and I can and I know I can make that adjustment in uh, in the auction and say, okay, fine. Here's I'm just going to go ahead and move it around, and, and as long as I can make it work, um, then you do it. But you, honestly, you don't have that much time to make it work. Because auctions go so quickly. I mean, even I mean, Brian Feldman's our guy, um, and in the AL, it just you know, he keeps things moving along. You, you can't go into stall tactics and can't do any of those things, and um, that's where you know I, I've seen in other leagues where people are like, "Oh, wait, hold on a second. Nope, you, you keep going here. So you have to make these decisions very quickly in your head, and that's what it comes down to going through some of those scenarios before the auction starts. Like, hey, if something happens, uh, you know, like let's, you know, with this Vlad news, let's say the market does come down on him. Then all of a sudden, you know, he went 22 in labor. But let's say the bid sticks at 18 and going twice. You're like, I'm going to go ahead and say 19. And then if something nobody takes, I'm like, okay, I just rostered a guy at a, at a discount. Now I got a plan. I wasn't planning on doing that. But because I saw him below a discount, I'm going to go ahead and take him. How do I adjust everything else? Yeah, and I I used to be one of the guys who uh, had hard bid limits, but that was also back when I did my own complete uh, uh, projections, and then I would run them through uh, some sort of calculator and come up with my uh, strict bid limits, and I wouldn't go over them. Uh, and one, I just don't have the time or the inclination to do the full projections <laughs> anymore, and so I have to kind of rely a little bit on... Uh, other other people's projections and kind of in kind of tweaking them, uh, so I don't tend to stick with hard uh, uh, bid limits. I'm a bit more fluid in the draft, and I kind of tend to try to just find value or what I think is value where I can, uh, especially in soft parts. Some drafts are going to have uh, soft parts in the beginning of draft or in the middle of the draft. Uh, and most of them will have something at the uh, near the end of the draft, and I'm kind of just waiting for those soft points to uh, to kind of grab some value. Uh, I, I talked a little bit about category targets. Do you use category targets when you do your auctions? I do. Uh, when I look, I look at history to see, okay, what, what would it take to finish? What does it take in the finish in the top three? Over the past few years, I don't look at just one year. I mean, because if you, if we look back at last year, you know, we, we've talked about on this podcast from 15, 16, 17, all power went up and pitching went down. Last year, pitching went up a little bit and power went down. So it's better to take a, a three year average to look, or three to five year average to look across, okay, what has it taken to win this, to win this league? Uh, then you have to figure, you know, finish in the top three, but then you've got to figure out other factors. I mean, I mentioned, you know, Doug Dennis is coming in the AL. We know that Doug doesn't spend on relievers for the most part, but maybe he does this year. So, you know, you have to look at where, what is it going to take to win the league and with the new factors in it. So it gets you in the ballpark uh, to say, okay, I need 250 home runs. I need, uh, I need 75 steals. I need a thousand strikeouts, uh, but you get towards those targets. But I'm also, yeah, you know, I'm not looking to blow through those. I want to get to get to those targets, but if I'm looking at it, that's really where the reserve round comes into play for me. Like I'm not going to chase an overspend for guys just so I can say, "Ha, hit that checkbox. I got a thousand strikeouts." But when it comes to the reserve round, if I that's that's how I gauge my reserve round. Is I look at, "Okay, where did I get where did I finish in the targets? Where am I short? Okay, those are the guys I'm going to go for in the reserve. If I'm short on saves, I'm going to throw my darts on the middle relievers. If I'm if I'm short on steals, I'm going to end up with Terrence Gore. You know, those types of, of, of reserve round picks to meet a need. But to me, that's what the reserve round's for in the auction. It's to cover an injury that you drafted or to make up where you didn't do well in the auction. And for me, I use the category targets one in the same way you do. Obviously, I would love to have every single one of my categories, uh, as long as I'm not punting a category, in those top three. Uh, but I also use it as, let's say I'm I'm kind of projecting myself or, or in category targets I'm looking at, I'm like sixth or seventh place in stolen bases, but they're just going to... Uh, they're, they're just too expensive and I can't really afford to keep competing in it, then I, then I can kind of transition and, and look for other categories to kind of 
uh, exploit. So maybe power is a little bit cheaper, average is a little bit cheaper. Uh, and, and that's where I use the category targets. I'm not necessarily using them uh, to meet every single one. I'd love to. I'd love to be able to say, oh, okay, the history of this league tells me that I should be getting this amount of saves, this amount of strikeouts, uh, and you know, hit every single one uh, over the course of an auction through projections. But it's, one, projections are often uh, or should often be uh, uh, conservative, so sometimes it's hard to hit all of those marks. Uh, and two, uh, we don't know what the landscape of things are going to be like. We've seen the landscape shift, uh, especially offensively, uh, tremendously over the last five or six years. So who knows if something else is going to happen to uh, uh, shift it even more. You've talked about how you think power might be down and speed might be up this year. So using a historic, using historical markers may not be the best uh, uh, option for you. So uh, it's something I think to use, but I don't think it's something to kind of live and die by. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's you, you have to have flexibility. That's one of the, what I like about auctions versus draft. You know, draft we we we're so married to. Oh God, ADP! I can't take this guy. He's two rounds ahead of it. Who cares? If you like the guy, go get him. Um, and in the auction, same thing. That's the beauty of an auction. If you like a guy, you have the you have the power in your hands to go get what you want. If you, if you value the if you value the guy more than the rest of the room. You can pay for it. You can put your money where, uh, where your mouth is and say, okay, fine. I'm going to go ahead and spend $26 on Vlad instead of the 22 because I think you guys have been suckers for letting him go. And I'm going to go ahead and take him at that route. Um, and, and you see how, you see where that ends up going for everybody. And um, that's what, it, again, I prefer the auctions. It's just tough to do auctions. There aren't – it's – I would say the format. It seems to be like the dying format. Everybody is so into drafts. Uh, but I – truly love the auction it sucks that i'm missing my home league and i've got this one i have this one and i have one more i have an al home auction and that's it so i only have two auctions this year and i've done six or seven drafts big fan of the auction though yeah i have uh let's see i have four auctions this year which means i have 18 snake drafts uh, so I, I'm, and, and three of my, three of my four auctions are slow auctions. So it's, it's, and it's not mm. quite, I, I do like the slow auction format, especially if you can't get together with the people, uh, in person, uh, and kind of, or set a time to, to do it online. Uh, but there's nothing like being at a table with, with a group of 11 other players and, and kind of, uh, you know, fighting it out for right. players. It just, it's, it's the, if you've never played in an auction, do yourself a favor find you know nine or 11 people and go play yourself in auction because it's a it's a whole lot of fun it um, really is and i want to bring up something real quick about like mm -hmm. categorical differences i'm looking at al tout wars from two years ago or so last year right last year the team that won home so doug dennis uh yeah, Doug. Doug was in the league last year because he drafted for Steve, mm -hmm. um, and that's why I was in my head. I'm thinking Doug was new to the league, but he's not obviously. But last year, uh, it, last year Doug's team won home runs with 273. Two years ago, that would have been fourth place. Yeah. And last year, Rick and Glenn won the runs category with 907. That also would have been fourth place two years ago. So that's when we're talking about uh, where the league is changing. Like ERA last year it was uh, was it? Yeah, last year Chris Liss was ERA champ at three point two seven, and then that would have been running away the ERA champ in two thousand seventeen because three point eight one was the best team ERA. Strikeouts thirteen oh seven last year, uh, and thirteen oh seven would have been second place uh, in that year. But it really comes down to. You got to look not just at one year because if it bounces back up, you just kind of take that three-year trend. But obviously, with that three-year trend, um, you know, sixteen and seventeen heavily offense, eighteen we saw that downshift. So it kind of balances that out. But can't stress enough looking at that kind of history as you try to set what it takes to win your league. If you're if you're just looking at one year, uh, if you just again get set like, oh, I need. I need 275 home runs. Well, 275 home runs would not have cut it two years ago. It, may, it would have cut it last year, but two years ago, you would have been well short. Mm -hmm. And well, that's one of the reasons why, uh, for auctions especially, uh, I didn't use one last year for uh, the the Tout Head to Head Points League um, because it's it's a points league and it's it's a little bit easier to kind of figure out where you're at 
in a points league overall as opposed to in a roto league. Uh, but typically, I use some sort of uh, draft software. So, and I, I highly recommend uh, Roto Lab or Roto Wires draft software. Uh, it can really help you kind of gauge where you are in terms of each uh, category uh, versus the other members of your league. So, I, I frankly, and I don't, I honestly, I don't do an auction without it. You know, I, I use it. I like using the software because I can have my notes, things. I always have my laptop with me uh, wherever I'm at. So I can always have the notes and it's all in one place. That way I don't lose anything. Um, but then it's easy to I don't have to do the quick math to say, OK, it, it's one thing to keep track of where you are in your categories. But it's also good to know where others are. Exactly. So as that player comes up, you know, like, OK, you know, Rick and Glenn are throwing out Gary Sanchez and we're looking and they don't have, you know, they're low on power right now. Let's I'm just using Sanchez, but it, it's, it's in the middle of an auction. Okay. They're going to, they need to go for this. Let's make sure that the guy goes full value. Maybe they even go an extra buck. So if it gets to 24, I say 25, they say 26. Am I ballsy enough to say 27? They go 28. So it's always good to see where people are hurting, uh, especially steals, strikeouts, where we have those counting categories, and you can see, okay, th this is the last stolen base guy on the board. Um, if they don't, they're going to want to get this guy, because if not, they're punting that category now. Um, and that's where you can really put the screws on people. Well, and also, uh, if more than one person in your league are punting different categories, so if one person's punting stolen bases and another person's punting saves, it can really throw off the balance in terms of your category targets. Mm -hmm. So having a, a program that can kind of do that for you, and also in draft inflation, when a guy like Paul Goldschmidt goes for 28 bucks instead of 32 bucks, that money's got to go somewhere else. And these, it's going to come back. <laughs> these, these programs help you kind of uh, account for that. Uh, yeah. You can do it on pen and, pa or, you know, pen and paper or pencil and paper. Uh, it's not that difficult. But if you, if you want to spend the four hours doing it as opposed to have a program uh, doing it for you during that course of the four hours, uh, I highly recommend it. I, I mean, Roto-Lab, Roto I think, is like 40 bucks and. Uh, the Rotowire software comes free with a subscription to Rotowire, so uh, I, I typically go with the Rotowire one just because you get the the subscription all year long uh, along with it. But yep. uh, both are really good programs, and I highly recommend. That. And even if you did it on paper, though, I mean, on paper it's as simple as okay, this is what your values are at, and then you just keep a running tally and say, okay, using your example, gold went for twenty eight, thirty two. Okay, that's a plus four, mm -hmm. uh, and so you can see where okay, guys are. That's how much extra money. A plus four, minus two, minus one, plus five. But you could just look at that and say, uh, okay, a bit. You start seeing a lot of pluses. Okay, start buying because if you don't start buying now, then that's you know, those, be a those lot prices. Extra money left over, those, yeah. those prices are going up. Mm -hmm. Those prices are going up later. So if you start seeing or a few the guys go off the board, if you see a lot of minuses to start your draft, maybe hold back and wait for some deals because they're going to be coming. Yep, and I'll tell you, and if you if you took the advice earlier about hey, let's do an auction. I know this late in the game, it's probably too late to to try to do that. But I'm telling you, in that if you do an auction league, especially one where you're like, hey, we're going to turn this into a three year keeper league, that auction league buy early and often because so many guys, uh, you know, they'll they'll sit, especially the first few picks, like, hey, I this is whole thing's new to me. I don't know if I'm ready to spend forty dollars on Mike Trout. You spend forty dollars on Mike Trout. Uh, you know, because if somebody else isn't, you get there and people are like, well, yeah, 40, now it's way too much. And then, okay, it's sold. Next guy. Um, I used to, some of the home leagues, I used to buy the first two guys, especially once that league is set as a keeper league and they don't factor in inflation. I used to go into an auction, always buy like the first three to five guys. Because I, you know, I'm looking at okay, there's 25% inflation baked into this draft, and when I walk into a room and see magazines, I'm like, <laughs> go ahead, all right, you got your price. I'm gonna go ahead and go with the extra, and people are gonna be like, wow, how's he spending all this money? Well, you know, you guys are valuing a player at 30 bucks. I'm valuing him at 36 because of the inflation. I'm gonna go ahead and I'll go ahead and pay yep. the 31. If you bow out, thank you. I got a five dollar bargain, and then I'll just sit back and watch everybody overpay for um, for guys that what's left in the talent because they let the other guys go below value when they were trying to figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how uh, Tim Beckham ends up going for 11 bucks at the end of an auction or something like that. So <laughs> you, you, see, you see it in those keeper leagues all the time. The, people don't adjust, uh, adjust for inflation. So uh, And there's a lot of great articles out there if you want to figure out how to do it uh, via pen and paper or your own spreadsheets. But like I said, I, I recommend the draft software doing it for you. 
speaking of which, how do you choose to nominate players? Are you there, there's a lot of schools of thought in terms of this. Uh, the main school of thought is okay. I'm going to throw out the players I don't want to kind of get money off the table. I tend to go a different direction. So, but first, why don't you tell me what, what do you usually do? I will throw out. Uh, I use a couple of strategies. I will throw out guys that I know will spend money uh, that I know will get money off the table because I don't want to. What I don't do is I'm not the guy that'll throw out the second catcher. I, I, I've played in leagues where a guy will throw out Martin Maldonado one dollar early in the auction. I'm like, okay, whatever. Uh, I don't I don't mess with that. But I want money to get flowing, and I want want I want stuff that will, and I will also throw them out near value because what I don't want is to give everybody else time to think about what they're going to do next. Mm-hmm. So you know I will throw out a Paul Goldschmidt at like one either right at value or a dollar or two below. But I want I, I want to keep things moving along. So I will say you know Goldschmidt twenty seven dollars opening bid. I don't ever do this guy $1 and then people, I just, I'll start jump bidding, throw the bids out uh, and, and keep things moving along. Uh, the other thing, when I say, I don't want to do throw out a guy at a dollar. I only do that if I absolutely have to at the end, but I'm also a huge fan of throwing guys out at $2. Everybody's willing to spend $2 on a guy, but sometimes nobody's willing to spend $3. So if you say at the end of the draft, Oh, I'm going to get this guy for a buck. You say a buck and there's somebody else in the room that can high bid and they're going to say two and you're in dollar days, it's going to ruin you. I try to stay out of dollar days as long as I possibly can because I want to be I want to be able to throw that $2 bid out and make somebody think about going three on somebody because it's automatic to say two. If you like a guy, everybody looks down and like, oh, two. But if you say two, you buy yourself just a bit of time for people to think, do I have the – don't fight. I'll let them go. I, I think that's a really good point. It's something I did a little bit last year. Uh, in the in the tout uh, points league, was I at the end I was throwing guys out for two bucks instead of one, uh, one because I didn't have enough money to go three on a lot of them, and so I didn't want the people who are in the same position as me, where they only had one or two bucks per player left anyways, to outbid me, and so it right. pretty much canceled out a bunch of people by throwing them out for two. I think I got Conforto for two, uh, I can't remember a couple other guys for for two bucks as well. Uh, for me, my kind of beginning of a auction strategy, I know a lot of people want to throw out like the most expensive players, especially the ones that they're not interested in. So if they're not interested in Kershaw, they're going to throw Kershaw out there. Uh, for me, I like to throw out one guy from a tier of players that I'm targeting. So last year at the Tout Points League, uh, there the top four starting pitchers were there. I knew I wanted to get one, if not two. But I needed to know what the pricing was going to be because it's it's hard to tell in, in your leagues. Like, what? How are people going to value this tier of player? So I had the first throw and I threw out Max Scherzer, uh, knowing that he was my top target. And a lot of people wouldn't do that. They would throw out maybe Kershaw or they'd throw out Chris Sale or Kluber, knowing that okay, I prefer to get Scherzer. Let me soak up some money. The problem with doing that, especially in the bigger positions, and when I say bigger positions, I mean positions worth a lot of players or a lot of positions to fill, pitchers, outfielders, is there's still a ton of money and a ton of uh, roster spots left over for those positions. So mm-hmm. throwing one guy out there doesn't necessarily drown the pool of a ton of money. What it does is someone may go, okay, Max Scherzer is going for more than I necessarily want to spend maybe I can get the other three for cheaper and what it ended up happening at Tout Wars was I got Max Scherzer for I want to say it was like 50 bucks and I got Kershaw for 49 and then Chris Sale went for 55 because he was the last of those four thrown out uh, exactly and started a bidding war and so don't be I'm afraid. glad you brought that up yeah. because that's what I was going to say was that you know if, if you if you like a guy Mm-hmm. Then so I, I do like starting with guys because what will piss me off is if I'm like, okay, I like, you know, to spin the other example, I like Paul Goldschmidt, but I, let's see if I can get some money soaked up. So I'm going to go ahead and throw out, um, I'm going to go out and throw Freddy. out Freddie Freeman, yeah. right? Freddie Freeman, I see him at a $2 value. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll go ahead and take, I got Freddie Freeman for 28. And then Paul Goldschmidt goes 26, like three guys later. I'm like, God damn it. Why did I let that happen? So if, if you like keep throwing out, you, 
I like doing a mixture of things. I will throw out guys I like. I will throw out guys I don't like. But I'm not going to sit out a bit unless that guy's Jacoby Ellsbury. I mean, if that name comes out, you're not going to hear me say a word. But I don't sit out bids. I will take anybody at any price except for Jacoby Ellsbury. It's got to be $0. <laughs> I can't even say Jacoby Ellsbury $1. It has to be 0 And I'm saying this specifically for, for Rick and Glenn because I know they're listening. And that's that's where it comes down to. Because Glenn tweeted at you this morning. Yes. That too. I mean, you have to be willing to to roster anybody that you throw out there. Uh, uh, but like I said, try to stay out of dollar days. Uh, you know, throw guys out at, at 80, 90 percent of value. That way, especially if there's guys, if there's guys you like, why mess around? Why five, ten? Just say twenty five, and then uh, it gets things going. People are quickly in or out at that price, uh, and then sometimes you can freeze bid people if you value a guy at twenty five and the rest of the room values him at twenty four. They're not going to say twenty six. You get the guy that you wanted, and you have to trust the projections that you either did or you're working with. I just uh, I think one of the biggest mistakes are people people have a guy they really like and they go I'm just not going to say his name until the end because I want other people to spend money or fill up their roster spots. Sometimes that works, a lot of times that backfires because there's usually someone with more money than you or someone who's doing the exact same thing for that exact same player. That's the that's the risk you run is mm-hmm. that when you're staring at you're like, "Oh man, you could quickly see that I think even a couple of years ago when there was that the Chris – I think Laura ended up paying a pretty high price for, for Chris Davis uh, because for, there were two Gallo guys too. in the room. Yeah, there's yeah, two yeah, guys yeah. in the room. You're like, oh, no, this, somebody else has got the same plan and they've got money. And then it's always that, that part of the draft where you're like, all right, might as well do it now. Let's go. And then there's two guys that are just bidding back and forth, back and forth because they mm-hmm. both have money. They both have the same need. And then the rest of you guys are just sitting back like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and use this time to figure out the next guy I'm going to draft because I can't even play in that bid. Yeah. Sometimes it's worth it to find out sooner rather than later whether or not you're going to get that that uh, that coveted piece. So. Uh, but speaking of lore and that exact uh, uh, situation, uh, that's something I want to talk about because I think there are some people who go into an auction with set players in mind or set strategies in mind, and they are not going to deviate from that. And then there are other players who go in and they go, I'm going to kind of let the auction come to me. Uh, lore was a great example of that, the, the, great, uh, the late great Lore Michaels. Uh, he would go in a lot of times with, this is the team I'm going to end up with, or these players are going to be on my team. I don't care what the price are. I remember one time uh, he was heading to labor, uh, and him and I were, were kind of just BSing about his strategy. And he goes, my strategy is I'm going to get Joey Gallo, I am going to get Chris Davis, and I am going to uh, get Chris Sale. I'm like, that's not – what if those players go for like $45 each because someone else has that same shot? He goes, I'm going to get those players. And I'm like, all right, Laura, you go get those players. And to his credit, I think he finished in first or second that year. Yeah, the, so. other, thing, the other thing that he always did, which I always found uh, rather ballsy, is on Master Ball, he would post the morning of Tout Wars guys that he liked. Oh, like wow. These, I didn't these know are that. my, the, and he put it up like late Friday night or Saturday morning. And he would, uh, like, hey, these are guys that I like in the draft. And then, so, like, it's sitting there. Like, now, I do the same thing. Look, I put out 60 bold predictions, I put yeah. out 30 hitters and 30 pitchers um, out there. And so people know who I like and don't like. But he would do it the morning of and just put it out there. It's like, hey, these are guys that I'm trying to get in the auction. And you're like, okay, fine. And so, like, see it there, like, okay, it's, uh, Pick some random Oakland outfielder. I don't know. Uh, Steve Piscotty. Okay. Laura likes Steve Piscotty. So I I would also use that and say, okay, throwing Steve, Steve Piscotty. Because he would even go as far as saying what he thinks that he could get that guy at. And so, like, there was one year where I like, I think it was uh, there, like two years ago, there was a guy that I really liked that he thought he could get him at this price. And I'm like, yeah, there's not a chance that's happening. Um, and I ended up. He had money, and I was like, okay, let's let's play and see how high we can go. Um, and I ended up letting him have the guy because he really liked him, and he thought I really liked him, but I didn't need him. Uh, and so that's where I'll, I'll start having fun with that. But yeah, he would put the prices out there and say, I can get this guy for five bucks. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's not happening. Uh, <laughs> or I would throw him out at that price and then make him spend an extra buck. Uh, I'd uh, throw out you know, um, Frankie Montas, $5. And he's like, six. 
And then, okay, I'm done. I'm out. I've made him spend an extra dollar. Anytime I can do that, if I can squeeze an extra bit of juice out of somebody and make them spend a little more money, you know, that's, that's a dollar that, that that's out of the draft table that may help me out later. Um, it's just really a matter of, of reading the room, reading the categories, knowing uh, players' tendencies and, uh, and seeing what you can get away with. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much of I, I like to go in with a plan, but I'm not I'm not held to my plan at all. If I if I go into the plan of, okay, I'm gonna punt this category or I'm going to do I'm gonna do stars and scrubs and I start seeing the players just go for too much money, I will adjust really quickly on the fly. I, I definitely am a player that lets an auction come to me as a, as opposed to having a rigid plan going in. Uh, you talked about kind of uh, price enforcing and and uh, knowing knowing your room well enough, or, or knowing what you think prices uh, should be, uh, and, uh, and and enforcing them, is this something you do religiously? Do you enforce a lot? Because I just uh, I, I've uh, I, I do it on occasion, um, but man, do I get caught more often than not? Because I in my ale only uh, slow auction I'm doing, I price enforced on Luke Voigt and pushed him up to thirteen. Uh, because my auction values had him around a $16 player, uh, and I got stuck with Luke Voigt, uh, which I was not necessarily yeah, super but I, thrilled about. But if you have him at 16 you got him at 13 you should be happy. Yeah. I Maybe mean, if you don't like the guy. Like, I, I don't, but if, if you got him at a three, if your prices had him at this and you got him for that, you've saved $3, and now you can reallocate that position. So if you were if you were looking to spend $15 at first base on – uh, Justin Smoke, and you just got you just got, which is pretty uh, much what I was doing. You just got void at thirteen. Now you can okay. Where can I where can I take that extra three dollars? Can I go ahead and go for a higher middle reliever? Uh, can I go from a, a SP four and another SP three target? Where can I where can I move that money around? But you should only price them for us on guys that you are comfortable rostering. But it, just because it says like if, if there's somebody you absolutely hate. Uh, you shouldn't be out there saying, well, that guy's a $15 guy. I should go ahead and make sure he gets the 15 But if you don't want him, don't do not do it. Don't play around. Price and force with guys you don't mind that you don't mind rostering or if it's guys that, are, that you, again, you see as a bargain. If you value them as at 16 and the room's stuck at 12 go ahead and say 13 even even if I'll take anybody I don't like if I can save three dollars on them as long as as long as my as long as my values are saying okay this guy is I'm projecting sixteen dollars worth of stats and I can buy him for thirteen I don't care if he's a Yankee or Red Sox um, the only thing I care about is if like if he's beat his spouse no I don't I, I've already said I don't buy I don't bid on Addison Russell um, that's not my I don't do that kind of thing but that's really my only my only uh, moral at that point. If I don't care who the guy plays for, if I can save money on him, I'm going to roster him. So that's where I that's where I try to price him for. And I also try to keep track. Uh, and this is a matter of limiting your distractions during during an auction. Like I let you say whatever the hell you want to say about me in the chat that you're running on Saturday morning because I'm not going to read it until afterwards. Uh, I'm only gonna I'm only gonna tweet things on a break uh, if I can say, hey, this is what I've got going so far. Maybe I may not even look, but I'm gonna limit my distractions because I also want to track to see like who's the runner up. Not not for like trades during the year, but I like to see the type of player people are going for. So if I see like a a Rob Leibowitz is going after like he's been the 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 penultimate bid on like three speedsters in a row. Next time I'm going to come out and he's sitting on money. Guess what type of player I'm going to throw out. So it's, it's really a matter of, there's a, there's a lot of moving pieces in an auction. And the more, uh, I also don't drink during auctions. I will drink during drafts. I don't drink during auctions. Also tout wars is Saturday morning. It's a little tough to get drunk Saturday morning. Uh, well, but I, I, you're just I not don't, trying hard enough. I, I don't like to drink during auctions because I like to have my, uh, my elements with me. I like to be able to keep track of the, all the moving pieces because it is there. It's fast. I mean, the four hours goes by um, like that and you have to be paying attention and seeing what other people's are. Uh, other people's <laughs> I'm not drinking it. I promise people, uh, unless you count cranberry and lime juice, seltzer water drinking. Um, but you have to keep track of what other people are doing in the auction and try to take advantage of that. I mean, your ultimate goal is to get other people to overspend so you can get bargains. That's your goal. Uh, I'm right there with you. I, I don't drink ever, so I definitely don't drink uh, during an auction. That, that would be a fun time to make an exception uh, is during an auction. But uh, I, I, you will not see me tweeting uh, between like the the hours of I think one and four 
uh, Eastern Standard Time on Saturday when I'm in the main event or during. Oh God, no! Yeah, not nine through one uh, on Sunday for for the NL auction. I I stay off. Uh, my phone for the most part in those kind, especially in auctions, because like you said, there's just so much going on, uh, and, and the main event because there's just too much money involved, and I think my wife would kill me. Uh, so, uh, yeah, don't 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 play around on your phone. Don't uh, you know? I, I once had to do an auction with my baby uh, in my on my lap because my wife was sick and made me take my uh, newborn baby to the auction. Uh, so that was fun, and that team did not turn out very well. So. Uh, I yeah have, have as, as few distractions as, as possible. Uh, two more uh, quick uh, things to talk about uh, in terms of auctions. Uh, do you prefer a stars and scrubs approach or a balanced roster, or or is it just like we were talking about before, letting the the uh, room kind of dictate where you're going with things? Uh, the the most stars and scrubbish that I've ever gone was the year that I did the Chris Sale thing. I ended up. Um, no, maybe it was that was the one year that I was draft because of the Chris sale. I think I spent the most on pitching that I've ever spent. Um, one year I did spend, I went two ten and fifty, and that's about where my comfort level lies. Uh, as as I was trying to play, like okay, what can I get away with? And uh, I didn't get away with much. Uh, I think even that may have been last year because I know I finished last in league in strikeouts last year, but I also saw I wasn't going to make much progress, so I started giving away starting pitching and trying to trying to make up in other areas. Because your goal, if you're not going to win tout, you want to get to sixty points because every yes. point you finish below, you lose ten. And I finished at fifty nine. I finished at fifty nine. Like I lost a point right there in the last week, and oh. I'm like shit. Right. So I I, I got I have. 10 fewer dollars than, than everybody else because of it, but that's it, okay. It's 10, but that's what I was trying to do was to try to chase growth in those other categories. So that's why I ended up finishing last there. I try to make a play and say, okay, I can give away the strikeouts and I can make up room in steals. And, uh, and if I can't make anything in ratios, cause it's too late there. So I was trying to really chase the counting categories, but knowing that when I saw where I was in strikeouts, there's no way I was going to catch the guy in front of me. So I, I tried to um, adjust to that, but I don't like, uh, I don't like doing that. Yeah. I, I typically go for a balanced roster, but I, like I said before, I kind of will let the room kind of dictate where I'm going. Uh, I, I, I've played in, in some rooms where it's just everybody's kind of going for balance, and uh, you can kind of take advantage of a little bit of stars and scrubs, and I've played in a lot of rooms uh, where everybody's going stars and scrubs, and so kind of sitting back and, and letting it come to you and, and uh, taking advantage of some of the cheaper prices in the middle uh, works out well, so... Uh, I tend to prefer the balance, especially in the only leagues, uh, which I tend to do most of my auctions for. Uh, but uh, I, I'm not averse to a stars and scrubs roster. See, I would say in a, in a mixed league, that's stars and scrubs, and that's the thing. Like if you if you're listening to Tout Wars, uh, and I think I'm doing the mixed league chat room, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but every year, it's like you know, Derek Van Riper comes flying out of the gate buying all these guys. It's like four or five guys that are just like. I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy. And there's like four teams doing stars and scrubs. And so when you've got, that's when you have that kind of thing, you know, in a, in a single league format, rarely do you see four teams doing the same thing. But in, in a 15 team mixed league, when four or five teams are all saying, I'm going to buy a lot of guys that I'm going to spend and I'm going to have three guys on my team that are going to cost me $120. And then I'm going to fill out the rest of my spots with the, with the remaining 140. Uh, you know, that influences how everybody else is going to spend because they know, okay, I want one of these guys. He's going to go early. I better buy him because there's, you know, mm-hmm. there's not going to be a discount. I know these guys are going to be spending money and they'll go cheap on their pitching staff or that maybe they'll buy uh, one starter and one closer at full price and then go dirt cheap with the rest of their pitching. Um, so it really comes into um, to where those guys are going to go, but you have to see where the room uh, where the room is going to go. And historically in AL Tout Wars, there hasn't really been um, a, a really big stars and scrub. There's been some uh, you know, some teams that have gone heavy on pitching uh, before, but I've never seen a team. I, I can't recall a team that has that has gone like two forty twenty or two thirty thirty. Maybe I'm challenging Doug right here to do it uh, in AL because I've seen him. I've seen him do it in NL. I haven't seen him do it in AL. Uh, but yeah, maybe he does that this year and says he's gonna go back to his old ways. But uh, I think Doug's Doug's changing in his, in uh, in his experience now because um, he used to be like two forty twenty. And it's like, ah, I'll just pick these guys up uh, and just and then <laughs> trade his assets during the year. I love Doug. Uh, it was always challenging when I first started drafting against him. I'm like, good God, how does he keep doing this? <laughs> well, and you'll see a lot more of those uh, Stars and Scrubs teams in the mixed leagues 
because the re- there's there's a greater level of replacement value uh, on on the wire, and so you can kind of take a bunch of dollar players. It was what I did last year in the points league. Uh, was I drafted a really expensive pitching staff, and then I just uh, streamed my entire offense until I landed on guys that uh, were giving me good point totals every week. So uh, you'll see. But there was a 12-team league, so there's a, a hell of a lot more replacement value. Well, even in a 15-team league, even uh, the Fantasy Baseball Invitational, I mean, I'm grabbing Jeff Samarja in the second round of the reserves. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, uh, Ryan McMahon, I mean, just Jock Peterson, reserve round. I mean, even in a 15-team reserve round, there is still good talent in the reserves. Exactly. So, uh, all right, let's uh, finish out real quick. we got a couple minutes before you have to uh, take off. So, uh, real quick, ever punt a category? I think everybody knows I will. Uh, no, I've never done it intentionally. Now, I will take one closer and two setup guys. I th- I've never really gone in saying I'm going to buy a closer, but I swear every year I end up doing well in saves. Like last year, Blake Trinan was my number one closer. I think I spent 12 or 13 bucks, and that was that was like my number one guy in – Obviously, tremendous year, but I have been uh, done very well in grabbing those other guys. Where I won't, I never bought two closers. Well, I will buy one and then and speculate on skills. And I'm always finishing in the top three in saves. Yeah, uh, I'm more than happy to punt uh, batting average in in batting average leagues. Uh, I will punt saves. I will punt speed. I'll punt whatever. (laughs) Well, I've made the decision. Now, getting back to the, I have made the decision in an auction where I'm looking at it, saying, okay. Uh, you know, steals speed guys are going a lot faster, a lot higher than I thought they would. Screw it! I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna worry about this. I'm gonna, and then in the reserve rounds, I'm, I'm taking the the Jared Dyson and the mm-hmm. Raja Davis, you know, that type of thing, uh, and not trying to pay for the speed, but then trying to grab every bit of it that I can in the um, in the in the in the reserve. But I don't intentionally walk into a draft saying or an auction saying, you know what? Nah, I'm not gonna go ahead. I'm not gonna participate this year. Screw it. Yeah, usually the only category that I'm walking into an auction is uh, knowing that I'm going to punt or devalue is average. Uh, I may make a, dis- a different decision later on, and I very rarely will punt uh, on base percentage because it, I just don't think that's a very smart play. Uh, just too much correlation to your run scores usually. Uh, so, but I have no problem coming into an auction knowing I'm going to punt that uh, the average category. Uh, but we got to wrap it up so uh, you can get on to uh, the things you're doing on your vacation. So, uh, Jason, uh, got anything you want to say before uh, we wrap up? Anything you want to promote? Uh, no, looking forward to seeing everybody this week in, in New York. Um, as I said, the, the Rotowire, all the bold predictions, those 60 guys are up. Um, There's a 10-day free trial. You can go to rotowire.com forward slash radio. 10 days, 10 days free, go read them all. Uh, and nice. then blame me later. Blame me later. <laughs> uh, but last I year I did, I did really well. 2017, not so well, but last year I had a lot of green on my – if you want to start with the NL East, you can get a review of all the guys that I picked in 2018. And you can see green was – nailed it, yellow was came close, and red was like, dude, what were you thinking? <laughs> um, but there's a lot of green on that chart, so I was rather proud of it, and um, I'm hoping we get some uh, get some guys that land on it this year too. Um, and you want to check out the draft software, you can check that out too. My next article is looking at guys that are out of options uh, because it's such a – that's where you see guys get tra- here towards the end of uh, spring training where they're trying to make the roster or a guy get, like why did that guy get kept and why did that get got get sent down we get so focused on s- stalling service time but then forgetting that there are guys out there that are out of options and if you expose them to the waivers they're going to get taken like i mentioned alberto mejia earlier if a team put a lefty guy that had shown what he's shown um, previously somebody's going to take a chance if the a's put frankie montas on the uh, on exposing the waivers, I mean, this is a guy that's got a 70 fastball and a 60 slider, according to scouts. Somebody is going to give him a chance to do it somewhere else. So you've got to figure he's going to make the A's roster. Um, so there are things like that where you're trying to look like, okay, this, but if, especially if you're drafting this coming weekend, perhaps you draft the guy based on the skill and all of a sudden he gets traded somewhere else where now he has the opportunity to do something where he didn't previously because, oh, yeah, he's, on, he's only on this roster because he's out of options. But if we trade him somewhere else, Maybe he become he has more playing time, so it gets back to the look at the skills, not the role, and uh, and go from there. I think you know Brian Bloomfield was talking. Uh, he had a tweet this week talking about guys that were outside the top 190 or 195 that finished in the top 20, 25. And last year, uh, you know, Blake Snell was obviously one of those guys, and we talked about him a ton on this podcast, uh, and and that worked out well. But I forgot the hitter that uh, was that people said, okay, yeah, he's not I mean, Aaron Hicks. 
You know, Aaron Hicks was the guy that was around 200 that ended up going that high. Um, and that all because that was all about Aaron Hicks. At least Blake Snell had the job. You knew he was going to make the rotation, but Aaron Hicks didn't. Well, but you could see the skills. Too. Right. And Aaron Hicks, but you could see when he was playing, hey, wow, he's doing some things. And then the opportunity presented itself and he took advantage of it and ran away and, and it has a seven year, $70 million contract extension to show for it. While John Ryan Murphy is not even with the Twins anymore. Great <laughs> trade, Minnesota. Just a great trade. Trading a multi talented outfielder for a backup catcher. Mm-hmm. Just a great job. Uh, and so that's where it comes down to. Uh, that's why I like to look for these guys that are they out of options. They had to make room for Byron Buxton. Things. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Good stuff, man. Well, uh, looking forward to seeing you next weekend. Yep. Um, you get into town Thursday, you said, right? Uh, well, I get into town like very early Friday morning. I'm taking the red eye. Oh, that's so right. That's right. I, I okay. take off at like 9 p.m. and I arrive at like 8 o'clock in the morning or something like that. Oof. No, I get in. I'll be there Thursday midday um, because I'm just coming down from Boston via the train. Because I got to do, uh, I got to do Rick and Glenn and Ian and Adam Ronis's uh, and uh, and oh, Jen's right. home league that night Thursday night. Uh, I gotta, I gotta remember to just fly in Thursday. That way I can hang out with everybody. So, all right. Well, that's gonna wrap us up for this episode. Uh, we, I will talk to you in a few days, Jason. All right, man. Thanks.